Good morning. It's really good to see all of you. It's been, uh, it's been a while since I've been here. My name is Aaron Barnett. I'm the associate pastor of the Fort Thomas campus. Uh, before that, I used to be on staff here at the Florence campus as the middle school director. So I used, to be, I used to be here every Sunday, and it's good to be back here to visit with you this morning. Uh, I am dearly going to miss being with my home campus at Fort Thomas, though. Uh, I love them. I am so grateful to be a part of Grace Fellowship Church. Is anybody else? We have, we have great leadership. We have awesome community Uh, It's a blessing to have a church that preaches truth, uh, where we get encouragement, where we find hope, where we find help. We have counseling. Uh, It is a blessing to be a part of Grace Fellowship Church. I am honored for the opportunity to get to preach in this Jonah series. And uh, we decided that it wasn't taking long enough to get through Jonah, so we're going to go back to chapter 2. But the reason we're going back to chapter 2, there's a reason uh, and it's, I'm very excited. It's because we get to re-look at and, and kind of unpack a little bit more about the character, the main character of the book of Jonah, God. It's not Jonah. It's not the Ninevites. So if you would, go to Jonah chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 8 this morning. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I'm probably going to repeat that and say that enough times that by the end of this morning, everyone will have memorized it, which would be great. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And for us this morning, I see an example for us in prayer. I see truth about who God is, and I see the fruit of our belief from this little verse that I'm excited to unpack. So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. God, I thank you so much for, uh, again, for our church. I thank you for worship and song. Uh, I thank you for Brad Spence and the other leaders who, uh, at the different campuses, lead the congregations in singing truth about who you are and who we are and what we can do and live and think and believe in light of who you are. I pray this morning from your word you would speak to all of us. You would give us ears to hear, uh, humility uh, and wisdom to understand. God, we love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Those who choose to worship and protect worldly lusts abandon their own mercy that is found in God. They seek satisfaction in worldly offerings and forsake the very sustenance that they need. People run after that which they believe will satisfy. Maybe you know what I'm talking about personally or you've seen other people. People's believe, people believe based on what they know to be true or they think to be true or they want to be true. But that's not what makes it true. And people's beliefs, someone's beliefs are based not on what they see, not on what they hear, not on what they witness, not on what they read. Someone's beliefs is a choice based on what they see, what they hear, what they read, what they want to believe. And based on what somebody believes, it determines their behavior. We can see in Jonah, if you go back to chapter 1, which we're not, but just to reference, Jonah, God told him something very clearly, very directly, what to do, and what did he do with that command? He disobeyed. We can look and see and trace back from Jonah... That he heard something, something was revealed to him, but he didn't believe it 
because that's not what he acted on. He was believing and thinking something else which led him to go the opposite direction than where the Lord told him to go. An indication of misplaced beliefs. And in chapter 2, we get to see Jonah in a prayer from the belly of a fish recalibrate his beliefs. I first want to start off with the encouraging example of prayer that we find here. Jonah, we do not want to imitate, nor would I encourage you to imitate in many ways. But in this way, yes. My first point is this. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, we have the opportunity to pray. I don't know where you are this morning. If you're in a trial, I don't know if you're in a valley and things are really hard and you wished you were in the belly of a whale. I don't know if you're on a mountaintop and things couldn't be better. But this life is up and down and up and down and it is worth remembering that at any time we can come to God. God's availability to us knows no bounds or limits. There is no place you can run or find yourself where he is unable to hear you or help you. Matthew Henry says, whatever hell we may be in the belly of in this world, we may thence cry to God. That is an amazing truth. Especially when we look at it in the context of Jonah, who directly disobeyed God, paid money, got on a boat, big storm, got eaten by a fish. He prays to God. Whether it is by the sinful choices of another, as the sailors found, they were in a trial. And it was because of Jonah's disobedience and he got on their boat. They probably weren't like, should we take this guy? I wonder what God's going to do with this guy. They, he was on the boat. They were traveling and the storm came and they, they didn't know. Whether your trial is because of somebody else or because of your own sinful choices, you have opportunity to cry to him now. Jonah, instead of praying in the beginning, as he ought to have when the Lord first gave him direction about what he wanted him to do, He should have prayed then, but instead he forsook the Lord and he chose something else in his mind to dwell on and run after. And in the end, we see that the Lord brought him to his knees. Well, I don't know if he was kneeling. I don't know if he was sitting, but the Lord humbled him. The Lord humbled him and Jonah ended up crying out to God, but it took a mess to get him there. Don't wait till it's too late. Whatever you've got going on, you can cry to God today. I don't care what you've done or what's been to you or what's going on. You can cry to God. I want to learn from Jonah how to pray. A way that we all as a church can be reminded to pray. To do that, I want to analyze. I want to analyze the prayers of the sailors from chapter 1 a little bit with the prayer of Jonah from the belly of the fish in Jonah chapter 2. So let's, let's do that. People often cry out from deities when all their other hopes are gone. Desperation breeds dependency. But the thing that's interesting is how foolish would it be for somebody when they are desperate and need something that's dependable, look to something that they know is not dependable. That would be foolish. It's a little bit different if we turn to something to try to help us when we don't know when we're guessing, the sailors 
didn't know who God was when they were praying in the beginning. There's this crazy storm. Their ship's going to go down. They've got this passenger in the belly of the, of the ship. They don't know who he is or why he's there, or where he's going to. And what are they doing? They're throwing stuff overboard and they're crying out to their gods. It says in Jonah chapter one, they're crying. Each was crying out to his own God. They didn't know who they were crying out to. They were frankly crying out to any God that would listen. So much so that the captain went down and was like, maybe the dude sleeping down in the boat has a God and maybe he'll listen and help us. Jonah, however, knew his God. He knew his character and he knew his word. Jonah had a track record. The entire story and history of the Israelites and all God did for the Israelite people coming out of captivity in Egypt. All of the miracles Just think of any one of the crazy stories from the Old Testament. It's like Jonah would have known these. No doubt he had in his own life, he'd seen God work. Hello, God directly spoke to him. He knew God. Jonah chapter 2. Let's analyze Jonah's prayer and compare it to the little bit we know about the sailor's prayer. Then Jonah prayed, verse 1, to his God from the belly of the fish. The fact that Jonah prayed from the belly of the fish indicates that Jonah knew his God was accessible no matter where he was. Verse 2, then Jonah prayed from the belly of the fish. Verse 3, you cast me into the deep. Jonah knew God's sovereign will and the means he has to carry it out. Do you see that in verse 3? You cast me here into the deep. Jonah knew that it was God's power that led him to be in the fish. Verse 3, all your waves, your billows. Jonah knew that God owns and controls all things, including the storm and the wind and the waves. Verse 4, Jonah knew God's love, his punishment, his patience, his mercy. Verse 6, Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Jonah knew that only God had to offer what he needed. We serve the same God today, guys. And he hasn't changed. Where do you forget the character of God? Who he is, what he's done, and what he's capable of. Our confidence and stability in desperation is based on who, what you know and what we hope for and what we hope to be true. And it's the same with our faith. In Jonah 2, verse 8, our text for this morning, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. There's debate about who Jonah is praying for. So those who pay regard, some people think that he's praying for the sailors who he witnessed crying out to their pagan gods which is kind of ironic because they're the ones who end up worshiping Yahweh and praying and making vows to him after they chuck Jonah overboard and the storm stops and they witness his power and they're like, he is the one true God. So it'd be ironic. I think it stands to reason though that maybe Jonah is humbly referring to himself as the idolater who fled God's presence. It really doesn't matter though. My second point is this, is truth about God. There is only one real God and all others are fake. And this second truth is only why the first is possible. We can pray because God is the Lord. Which is what we see in verse 8. 
Jonah chapter 2, the entirety of it is a prayer from Jonah. And verse 8 is the last step before it gets to Jonah's climax of, in the Lord there is salvation. It says, salvation belongs to the Lord. At the end of verse 9, this verse 8 is the last step before getting to that understanding, that climax, that acknowledgement of God being the only one who can save. And it's this, it is ridiculous to believe anything other than God will satisfy Anyone who does is only going to end up finding out what they thought was true was really just a vain hope. God hears. God listens and he has the power and the plan to help. Idols can't. They can't. No matter how much we want them to or wish that they would, they have no power. Listen to Jeremiah. Turn there if you want. Jeremiah chapter 10. This is what the Lord is saying to God's people through Jeremiah about what idolatry is. Jeremiah chapter 10. In verse 2, It says, don't learn the way of the nations. Don't learn the way of the nations, the gods that they hold fast to me. Don't learn their ways. And then this is how he describes in verse five. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. (laughs) And they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. Verse 8, they are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Fill in their wood, bronze, gold, silver. Fill in whatever, the blank. The NKJV says a wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Verse 10, but the Lord, the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. And when he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid. (laughs) The Bible says that. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. For his images are false and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. But not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things. Some God is false if it it is dead and powerless. A God is true if he is alive and ruling and reigning and ruling everything by the power of his might. And our God is. Amen? I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but idolatry, as we're reading Jonah 2 verse 8, 
He who pays regard to vain idols forsakes his hope of steadfast love. Idolatry, this whole talk of idolatry I want to dig into. Maybe you've never thought about it like this, but I really want to to push here. Idolatry starts in the heart and the mind. The only reason pagan cultures have these structures that are erected or these statues that they build with names that represent something is because they want something to represent the idolatry that was taking place in their heart long before they created the literal idol. The golden calf, the Israelites, in the midst of God taking them out of captivity from Egypt. They build a golden calf, guys. Why would they do that? Idolatry. And they wanted, they wanted to build something to, to represent. The idolatry started long before Aaron took the gold from all of the people and built the golden calf. It was a heart problem. Idolatry is not just statues and images. Those are representations of idolatry in the heart. You may be thinking to yourself, you know, like we're civilized people. We live in the United States of America. You know, some people may worship idols, but it's like, that's not us. We are idolaters nonetheless. The difference is we have just in a sophisticated way made substitutions. In the place of all of these idols, we really have just placed automobiles, money, popularity, influence, work, sex, Nicotine, alcohol, pleasure, fill in the blank. A definition I came across of idolatry I really like is this. Anything or anyone that takes the preeminent position in our life becomes an idol. You have, we all have, all people have a preeminent position in our hearts. And that spot is never vacant. If God is not there, something else is. Pastor Brad's definition is anything that captures our hearts, our minds, and our affections more than God is an idol. And if we look at Jonah, just imagine what had captured Jonah's affections that led him to run away from the presence of God. He had something in the preeminent position in his heart and his mind that would lead him to do such a thing and that leads us to do such things. The rich young ruler that came to Jesus said, what must I do? I I want to follow you. I want to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, you need to do all of these things, these commandments. And the guy says, I've done all of those things. And then Jesus says, you need to get rid of all of your stuff. And the guy who was really wealthy walked away sad. The thing that's interesting is Jesus was highlighting the man's covetousness. He had so much stuff. And in Ephesians 5.5, it says that covetousness is idolatry. It's a heart problem. And Jonah was struggling with it. Which led him to say that he who forsakes His God pays attention to vain idols. You can't mix that up. You still may think that I don't worship idols. You may be sitting here, it's like, that's that's paganism, that's uncivilized countries and people groups and communities in other parts of the world. That's not me. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, all about the character of God, 
hits the nail on the head when he says, let us beware lest we in our pride accept the erroneous notion that idolatry consists only only in kneeling before visible objects of adoration and that civilized people are therefore free from it. The essence of idolatry, he says, is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. It begins in the mind and may be present where no overt act of worship takes place. Jeremiah 2, which we're going to read, in 4 verse 5, which... Jeremiah chapter 2. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? That's idolatry. That's wrong thinking. That's not believing what we should be thinking rightly about God. We are believing worthless things that are not true. And in turn, what happens to people who do such things? They become worthless. But thanks be to God that he saves. He redeems. And he calls back to himself. Idolatry is not a matter of literal carved or molded idols. It is about your heart and your mind. Tozer also says that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The reason why is because what you believe about God, whether it's false or true, what you believe about God is going to determine what you do, where you go, what you spend your money on, what you consume or abstain from, what we read, what we watch, who we interact with. Again, think of Jonah. It led him to go spend his money to take a ship the opposite direction of where God told him to go. People's lives and the choices we make comes from the abundance of our heart and what we're thinking, guys. Jackie Hill Perry said, what we believe about God determines how we behave. If we would just know God better, but not just know him and about him, but we would believe what we know about God. We couldn't help but cry out to him. What keeps you from crying out to God? Whether you're in a trial, whether life is good, what keeps you from crying out to God? What things fight for your allegiance? What things grasp at your affections that rob you from God having your affections and God being the preeminent thing in your heart and mind? What is it? If you're in a season and you're on a mountaintop and things are good right now, part of the application I see from Jonah chapter 2 is that we need to practice trusting God now while things are good. If you're a Christian and you're a veteran, you should have a track record of God's faithfulness and we need to recount it. Go write a prayer out like Jonah did, saying all the things that God has done. Look back in your life at all God has done. All God has used with all of the ups and downs, the good and the bad. 
the worthiness of God doesn't change and his character doesn't either when you're in a trial or not. Mature Christians practice. Do you know what that's called? Worship. (laughs) Worship. Maybe you're in a season though where you need help. Maybe you, again, I'm going to say, maybe you wish you were in the belly of a whale because that sounds like a little bit more comfort than the situation you're in now. Life is really hard and I'm sorry. I really am. Spurgeon says that most of the grand truths of God have to be learned by trouble. They must be burned into us with the hot iron of affliction. Otherwise, we will not truly receive them. And some of you here who have been through affliction know God so deeply because of the trials that you've been in. And if you're in a trial now, be encouraged because God wants to reveal himself to you. And I pray that he does. And in doing so, gives you such sustenance that you will have joy and peace in the midst of what you've got going on. We will pray that the trial ends. And sometimes that happens. With Jonah, the the fish spit him out. But it doesn't always happen. Sometimes it takes longer. I bet Jonah, I don't know if he prayed on day one or on day three, but I'm pretty sure on day one, Jonah was wishing that the fish would spit him up on day one. Trials take a lot longer. And God is trying to reveal himself to us through it. In desperation, we need stability and dependability. God is the only one who can offer that. And it's in desperation that he reveals himself. We have to rely on him more. And it would do all of us well, whether we're in good seasons and we need to practice relying on the truths of who God is and all that he's done, or we're in a trial and we have to fight even harder to find those truths about who he is and what he's doing. We need, the, the, in the midst of trouble, is God to reveal himself so that we need our thoughts about him to expand and to be accurate. And his word, only then, only then can we have faith and not just wishful thinking. All kinds of people in the world have wishful thinking, guys, but the difference between wishful thinking and, and faith, the difference, the thing that's at stake is joy is peace, is hope, is confidence, is endurance. It's found in faith, and that's knowing who God is and what he says, his promises. Jonah needed reminded of it. And it took him a little bit, but he got there. The more parched and thirsty someone is, the sweeter the water. The Olympics, anybody watch the Olympics? I love the Olympics. We put a TV in our living room and I have three daughters and I have a son now. I just had a son that was born. So I have four kids, three daughters and a son. It's fun. We all love gathering in the living room and watching the Olympics. Doesn't matter what event it is. There's just something really cool about seeing different cultures, different languages, different athletes and all of the competition. But with all of them, they all drink water. And if you've been watching, you know, especially in track and field, how hot it's been. And it's really interesting to watch. They drink water and it is so satisfying. And whether you watch the Olympics or not, if anybody here has had a day of work or you're an athlete, I used to be an athlete, (laughs) not anymore. (laughs) Not because I can't, but because I don't want to. (laughs) Water tastes good when it's hot, when you've worked hard. It quenches thirst. The hungrier one is, 
the better the food tastes and the more it satisfies. So it is with our souls when we're longing for God and trials get us to that point. Drink of the Lord. And my third point, I see from Jonah chapter two, verse eight, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I see fruit of our belief. When we choose to turn to things other than God, we sacrifice the sweetness and satisfaction that only he can provide. That's what makes idols worthless and not worthy. Nobody is satisfied until their deepest hunger has been satisfied in Christ. In your, in your outline, it says John 6.25. It should say John 6.35, which says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There is an analogy that we see through scripture about thirst, about hunger. And Jesus, particularly in the New Testament, was talking about eating and drinking and it confused people. But what Jesus was talking about is the same thing Jonah is referring to, the same thing that we saw in Jeremiah. It's a heart thirst, a heart hunger. To what or who do you look when your soul is parched? And this is something that we have to come back to again and again. So whether you're a Christian and it's like, it's Jesus. It's like, yes, we can say that, but do you believe that? You need to trace your actions and what you're doing in life and your struggles to what you're actually believing. Not just what you know to be true, but what you believe. God's mercy and salvation is offered through revelation of himself. We have but to look to Christ and believe. We have but to look to the character of God and believe. Jeremiah knew all of the truths from the belly of the whale before he was in the belly of the whale. What he prayed, he knew those things about God. He didn't believe them. But he was reminded of once the fish ate him. The sailors didn't know the character of the one true God. They thought that there's some deity because it's been written in everybody's hearts and mind and revealed to all people through creation that there is deity. No matter what people group you go to, they worship something because it's been hardwired into us. But they didn't know the truth about who the God was until they saw the power of God. The storm stopped and they said, Yahweh is God. We will serve you. We will pray to you. Don't wait for a sign from God, though. As Peter preached previously, it's like, I don't know how many second chances everybody gets. You might not have any more. Don't wait to cry to God. We have to look to him and believe now and cry out to him now. God has revealed himself clearly through nature. It says in Romans 1, science, math, Animals, plant life, our ecosystems, the water cycle. God has revealed himself, his creativity. God has revealed himself directly with his word. And he's revealed himself through giving us his Holy Spirit to attest to all the things we see and we read. 
don't be without an excuse. Actually, I'll say you are without an excuse. We need to read this and all of it. And we need to taste and see that the Lord is good and we need to believe it. All kinds of people came to Jesus. All kinds of people came to Jesus wanting to see what? A sign. A sign, right? If you give us a sign, then we'll believe. Many did believe, but there's a bunch of people that came to him and saw the signs, saw the miracles, and guess what? They didn't believe. We have to pay regard to this, not vain idols. We have to observe this, not vain idols. And we have to choose to believe it. That's part of observation. That's part of focusing to just witness something that's happening in the peripheral, but to choose to focus on something is different. That's what we are called to do for God and his word and his revelation to us, to believe it and to trust it and to act and behave in light of it. Paying regard or observing false vain gods is so silly because they have no mercy to offer. But guys, we are silly sheep and we turn to things. This morning, be reminded that we need to turn back to God. All of us. Repentance is not just a one-time thing like, oh, I've repented before. It should be every day we are repenting. Isaiah 55. If you're still in Jeremiah, just go left a little bit. Isaiah 55, I'm going to read the first three verses. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. The revelation of God's power is what led the sailors to pray to him and not their previous idols. I already said that. The revelation of God stopping and controlling the ocean is what led the sailors to pray. The revelation of God's patience and power and sovereign will is what drew Jonah to pray for him. Do you know what will draw you to pray to him? The revelation of his patience through sustaining life. The revelation of his creativity in creating all things. The revelation of his holiness through the reality of our own brokenness. The revelation of his sovereign plan playing out through everything working together for his children. The revelation of his transcendence shown in the unfathomable scope of space and the stars and the distance between them and the fact that he knows everyone by name. The revelation of his omniscience in knowing every thought and deed of every person and his omnipotence in being able to speak to a whale and the wind and the waves. The revelation of his wisdom in giving us his inspired written word. The revelation of his faithfulness in carrying out every one of his promises to date and giving us reason to trust all of his promises that are yet to come. And the revelation of his compassion for you because he made you and his love for you because he sent his son to die for you and your disobedience. That's what will call us to pray, but we need to remember it 
and choose to believe it. Brothers and sisters, practice dependency by remembering the Lord. If you're in the belly of some hell, you need to remind yourself of what you know to be true. Recount God's love and faithfulness. If it's because of idolatry, you have opportunity to repent because of God's grace. If it's because of somebody else's idolatry and sin, God is using it as an opportunity to make you more like his son. Cling to Christ and pray for the person who has wrongfully sinned or, or is leading an idolatrous life that has caused you to have some sort of trial. If you're here and you have not cried out to God because you don't know him, I plead with you to stop looking to other things for salvation and hope and look to Christ before it's too late. All are going to appear before the judgment seat. You are going to appear before the judgment seat sooner or later. Prepare for eternity now by letting go of anything that you hold to and clinging to the cross. Let go of whatever they are. Isaiah 55 Six and seven says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked, the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. To forsake something means to turn away, to leave it. That's what Jonah did with God's command. He tried to leave God's presence. God granted him that by putting him in the belly of a fish. And that drew him back to him. The unrighteous man his thoughts let him return to the Lord that he may, he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. God will abundantly pardon. See the example for us on how to pray and when to pray from Jonah. See the truth about who God is in Jonah's prayer, the account of God's character the reminder that Jonah gave to himself and that the Lord gave to us about idolatry and the fact that if you turn to idols and you pay regard and focus on them, you are forsaking the hope that is yours that can only be found in God through Christ. And the reminder about the fruit of our beliefs. We can see Jonah's beliefs playing out that led to where he is from the belly of the fish praying and crying out to God. And we will see play out further as we finish, Lord willing, the book of Jonah. I want to pray now and then we, want, we can end singing about truth and remind ourselves through song. But I want to pray from Ephesians. So bow your heads and let's, let's pray before we sing. Lord, according to the riches of your glory, grant us to be strengthened through power by the Spirit in our inner beings that through faith, we would be rooted and grounded in love and have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. God, fill us with your fullness. In Christ's name I pray, amen.